Hello, it's Paul Scott here, small caps investor and commentator, and writer with Graham Neary of the Small Cap Value Reports on Stockopedia.com. This is my weekly summary of what's been going on in the small caps world, focusing almost entirely on trading updates and results statements as usual. Uh, Did I give the date? I can't remember. Um, It's Saturday 4th of February 2023. So this covers the uh, week ending Friday the 3rd of February 2023. Please remember we're never giving share recommendations. What we're just doing is giving our opinions, brief reviews, of these trading updates. So there's bound, we cover so many companies, well over 500, there are bound to be things we miss. And the whole ethos of, of Stockopedia is that we give you the tools and the ideas to go off and research stuff and take responsibility for your own portfolios. So we're not a tipping service, so please do remember that. Right, so starting with Monday the 30th of January 2023, Graham looked at DP Eurasia, DPEU is the ticker. This is the uh, Domino's Pizza franchise in Turkey and I think with Russia. Graham's amber on it. We rate everything just on a simple, our opinion on it, on a simple green, amber or or red colour coding. Uh, The share price didn't really move on a trading. um, It said ahead of expectations, but didn't really seem to move the share price. So I'm not sure why. Trading in Turkey is solid uh, despite the hyperinflation there, but it's got, Graham thinks it's got excessive debt and it needs to get rid of its Russian operations, so we're not madly keen on that. Next, uh, Inspired, I-N-S-E. This seems to be an energy consultancy firm for, obviously energy is a, a... Energy crisis is a big issue at the moment. Uh, It only reported in line with expectations EBITDA. Most of these companies are obviously giving us updates for calendar 2022 year ends. Um, It's got a positive tone to the update, Inspired has, but I'm not keen on the sector or its balance sheets or cash flows. So we've had problems in this sector before with uh, energy consulting companies that uh, the accounts... Hmm. We've well, we've had problems before in this sector, so personally, I wouldn't touch uh, anything in that sector. Now, a big uh, profit warning from eight eight eight, the large uh, gambling company, and the chief executive resigns. So it's obviously serious. Problems have emerged with VIP customers in the Middle East who sound like they're laundering money, which, of course, casinos are well known for, aren't they? Good place to get rid of a lot of ill-gotten cash and uh, recycle it. Uh, And um, Graham actually has a long position in this, so I think he wrote a particularly good, well-balanced article on it, just saying, you know, it's been very disappointing and it's high risk. The trouble is with 888, they took on um, an absolute huge amount of debt to do a major acquisition that roughly triples the size of the business. And, of course, the one thing you don't want to do is then see rising interest rates and some sort of internal problem which seems to have developed in the Middle East. So that one looks um, pretty wobbly to me. Next, I looked at Sophian SPE, which is a small software company providing, um, I think it's sort of workflow software for innovation, product innovation within large companies. Seems to be a good product, good growth in revenues, but where are the profits? The profits have actually gone down over the last few years and are now pretty negligible. The story is it's a a SaaS transition from um, perpetual licenses to SaaS. But as we know, you know, this is always given as an excuse by lots of companies for 
uh, disappointing profits. Uh, and we've been hearing this story for years now at Safian, and they still don't seem to make any significant profit. It does say EBITDA ahead of expectations, but the broker forecasts don't impress me. I just think it's overpriced. Uh, and it might it might work well. It's got a loyal following, but you know I think you should question: Are you are you paying too much for where it is at the moment? It needs to be beating forecasts very significantly, I think, just to justify the current valuation. But anyway, you know it might work out. Let's see what happens. Graham had a look at Beximco Pharma BXP, which I think is something pharmaceutical based in. Bangladesh or something, I think. It's a bit of a funny one where Graham focused on the arbitrage opportunity given that the UK shares are much, much cheaper than the Bangladesh listed shares. I think that was it. Uh, revenues are up, but profits is down due to macro headwinds. I don't see anything particularly interesting there. Now, I looked at S3. S-T-E-M is the ticker. Now, as regulars will know, this is one of my favourite value GARP shares. It's a contracting staffing agency that does uh, focuses mainly on contracting staff, so repeating revenues over contracts that might last nine months, a year, two years, or whatever. And S3 just gets uh, places people within uh, the STEM specialities, which, see if I can remember that, science, technology, engineering, and... Medical, I think the M stands for, but they listed it uh, as other. Now, PI World, again, thanks, Tamsin, thanks, Tim, put up a couple of very good webinars from STEM, which are well worth uh, watching. Uh, In line with expectations results, this was for November 22 year-end, I think. Uh, In line outlook, superb balance sheet with S3. I think it's a quality company, and I give it a thumbs up. But but with the, with the caveat that we might have seen peak earnings for now, 2023 obviously could be a tough year for staffing companies. But S3 seems to be in the right sort of niche where there's um, still considerable demand for STEM skills and a shortage of applicants with the necessary skills. So they're in the right place, I think, and they make good margins. I did discover, going through the numbers, a little funny in the accounts, in that there was, this is off the top of my head, but I think there was a 9.9 million purchase of shares by the Employee Benefit Trust. Now, I traced the double entry through the accounts, and that doesn't seem to be expensed through the P&L. But it is effectively um, staff remuneration, isn't it? Buying shares for the Employee Benefit Trust, which are then going to be given to employees who hit targets and so on. So... I think there's quite a strong argument for adjusting the figures to strip out, rather to include the cost of the employee benefit trust buying those shares. They go um, through reserves rather than through the P&L, which um, does take the sheen off this, the value aspect of the share. If you adjust the P&L for that, it's quite a significant amount of money. Um, so I just want to flag that to people to have a look at and see what you think. Now, we ran out of time on Monday, so I didn't get around to looking at Paul there, PRV, but I did look at that later in the week, so we'll come on to that. Also, Central NIC, CNIC, this is a, a sort of web services domain name uh, and marketing type of business with stunning figures uh, and amazing growth from acquisitions, but um, I've never fully understood what it actually does. And I asked the readers, and I think Boone and B&B replied to me very helpfully, which did raise my concerns in that it sounds like a bit of a cigar butt type of activities business, you know, where they're 
getting strong profits and cash flows from declining activities. So the big question mark, really the focus of uh, any research I would do on it in future, would be on how sustainable are these profits. That's the number one question to ask with every company. Are these profits sustainable? Um, an old city warhorse who's sadly no longer with us, my friend Tony Brewer, he taught me that when I had my first ever lunch of many uh, boozy lunches with him about 25 years ago. He said, Scotty, always think about whether the profits are sustainable, because they have to be if you're going to value it on a PE basis, which, of course, most of us do use as a core valuation tool. Now, personal group, PGH, I didn't get round to reporting on that, but I just had a quick look at it this morning. It was in line with expectations. Actually looks moderately interesting, that one. The balance sheet's OK. The PER's reasonable. So have a look at PGH, if you like. It hasn't... And everything's bouncing strongly at the moment, isn't it? But PGH hasn't bounced strongly. So I like the laggards, um, because you can sometimes buy into those things. At this stage and in what seems to be an early bull market, you can often get um, uh, some really nice bounces from things that haven't bounced yet, because they've simply been overlooked. Uh, And also Impelum IPEL reported a big disposal now that one i think is in a, it's just another staffing company but it's in a takeover situation so we thought there's not a lot of point in in covering that so that was monday right on to tuesday this is the 31st of january turns out i did look at central nick cnic <laughs> i've forgotten so uh yeah i went through the trading update uh this is at one pound 45 per share the internet services uh group um i, I came away quite impressed actually um, ahead of a consensus, uh, EBITDA, I think it's at the top end of the range. So they kind of double announced uh, beating expectations, which they'd already announced in December. So it was basically the same announcement, really. Now, the, the balance sheet I did have concerns about, but it doesn't look too bad now, actually. So um, it, it did have a lot of debt, but that, that seems to have come down to quite a reasonable level. So I'm not so concerned about the debt at CNIC. Uh, I don't think I gave it a colour coding, or did I? Did I give it amber? Yeah, I've got amber, because I'm just not sure about the sustainability of profits, as we just discussed. I looked at Paul Vare, PRV, a filtration specialist filters. Nice business. I like Paul Vare. The valuations looking is, is still at the top end of what I would consider reasonable, but it's better better than it has been in the past. And do bear in mind there's, a ca- there's cash out- outflows into the pension scheme there, which you need to adjust the PE for, because a lot of people don't realise this, but uh, pension deficit recovery payments do not go through the P&L. So the profit figure you're looking at is effectively inflated. So you need to take the pension uh, cash recovery payments off the profits and, the- and adjust the PE accordingly, the way I look at things. Uh, what else do we look at? Oh, Cambridge Cognition, a long-standing um, share that I hold personally and that I like. Uh, I'm green on that. Its revenues are ahead of expectations, but earnings in line. It's trading around break-even, so not madly exciting. But I think in a bull market, these sort of credible jam tomorrow stories that are not burning cash uh, and that are growing decently uh could get re-rated quite nicely it's got plenty of cash cambridge cognition has it does rather interesting um uh brain cognition tests uh on ipads they seem quite simple but there's a wealth of expertise behind what seem like simple tests and it and it very precisely measures the onset of 
uh, dementia and um, stuff like that. And Cambridge Cognition, I think, are one of only two companies in the world that really specialise in this. And it, uh, it's got quite a considerable moat. A couple of the readers questioned that and said, well, with artificial intelligence, could that moat disappear? I don't know. I mean, artificial intelligence is interesting, isn't it? But uh, uh, not all it's cracked up to be, in my opinion, from what I've seen of it. Anyway, so, I'm, yeah, I'm still green on Cambridge Cognition, so I'm going to keep my existing holding that I've had for a few years and just just uh, go to sleep for another six months on that one. I think it's got good long-term potential. It's winning nice uh, repeat contracts. The interesting thing is that these cognitive tests are now being used as an integral part of drug t- new drug testing by big farmers. So um, that is, yeah, I like, I like Cambridge Cognition still. I, I, I'm not, I'm not motivated, motivated to buy any more. I don't see it as being something that's going to explode upwards anytime soon, but you just, you never know, do you? Graham looked at AG Bar, a drinks company. He always covers the drinks companies. He, he, he seems to like them. He's green on that. He also looked at Mortgage Advice Bureau, MAB1, which does what it says on the tin. Um, now, that's an interesting one. Obviously, there's been a sudden hiatus in mortgage approvals caused by the mini-budget and interest rates going up and all the rest of it. But it does seem several of the um, listed companies are starting to say there's just the early signs in the first few weeks of January of the beginnings of a, of a recovery. So we know earnings are going to be tough in H1 of 2023, but there's light at the end of the tunnel, I think, for housing transactions, estate agents, house builders, advisors, and so on. So it's an interesting one, that, isn't it? How, as an investor, will you treat it? Are you going to hold fire, not invest, and wait for the profit warnings? Or are you going to just take a flyer on it for the recovery? I don't know what to do on that, personally. I'm I'm leaning more towards holding back, although I do have a, uh, um, a position in MJ Gleason, the small uh, affordable house builder, which I think I'm prepared to take a, a risk on soft numbers coming through in 2023 because it's so widely expected and it's factored into the forecast for house builders already. Oh dear, profit warning, T- TPX Impact. Now this is one of these IT consultancies that floated. There were several of them that did. Uh, Made Tech, MTEC was another one. Floated um, on a on a flurry of big contract wins with public sector organisations, but the trouble is they struggle to make profit out. It's all very well putting, you know, we've won big contracts for this, that, and the other, but you've then got to actually make a profit from those contracts, and that's the difficult bit, isn't it? So anyway, I've gone red on this. I did have TPX Impact on. Used to be called the Panoply, and for a couple of years it looked really, really good, really exciting growth company, very bullish management, but the wheels have really come off now. Um, in quite a serious way actually it dropped 38% on Tuesday to 28p now I had this on my list of speculative watch list shares for 2023 the idea with that was I just picked some of my best ideas for value GARP shares but then I had so I had two lists of those but then I did a third list of much more speculative things expecting some of them to fail and some of them to do well but you never know which or which, do you? And uh, on the speculative list is actually doing very well so far. It's 19% up year to date for a whole basket of about 20 shares, which is not bad, but it's largely based on the takeover bid for Seraphine at a 200% premium, which was my biggest personal position. So it's given 2023 uh, a fantastic start for me with a ridiculous percentage gain on my SIP, but I still haven't recouped all of last year's losses. So I've, I've not put the bunting out yet, and I just 
just got lucky with Seraphine. Uh, but what was that? why did I mention that? Oh yes. Uh, so so well, going back to TPX Impact, I've actually deleted it. Well, no, I haven't deleted it. I've locked in the loss. So on my watch list, I didn't want to change the the watch list. It's set in stone. These are the things I picked for 2023. But then I thought to myself, well, actually, if the facts change. Uh, I'll do what I would do in real life. I'd sell the shares. So what I've done with my spreadsheet is I've locked in the price at which I sold, which is about 50% down. I think it was 27 pence with uh, TPX Impact and said, look, the facts have changed. So I'm leaving it on my watch list spreadsheet for the whole year to show that I got that one wrong and that it made a 50% loss. But I'm not, you know, in real life, I wouldn't continue holding something that I thought was was too risky. I'd just sell it. So the spread, so the spreadsheet spreadsheet reflects that, and I've sort of background coloured it in grey to indicate that it's no longer something I'm confident about. And I'll review the watch list every month month end and um, update accordingly. But I'm not going to change the original picks because obviously that would make a nonsense of the of the whole concept of a year's watch list and a year is quite a short space of time really to judge performance anyway most of my stuff I'm looking to two to five year holding periods on based on fundamentals not based on market sentiment and also I I like uh, to pick things with strong balance sheets so uh, you've got less risk but anyway TPX impact was one of my speculative ideas haven't worked it hasn't worked so I've I've got rid of that the problem is and and I did flag this last year the problem with TPX impact is it's got this big bank loan relative to the size of the company and it's now saying um, that it's likely to breach its bank covenants on the 31st of March 2023, £17.5 million net debt. Now, it's entirely possible the company might be able to negotiate a covenant waiver, but it's also entirely possible the bank might insist on a, a equity placing, at least to make up part of the shortfall. So it's at high risk of a dilutive share issue, TPX Impact is. I see the directors came out and did the sort of... Uh, the the sort of necessary director purchases uh, the next day, which does turn the market. I've noticed lately a lot of people are looking to see if directors buy and then they use that as a trigger to buy themselves. So it does work. But I'm quite sceptical about directors who are, you know, are pretty wealthy, spending 40, 50 grand buying shares. To me, that's more for show than anything else. So I'm not personally a big fan of director buying, unless it's well into six figures. But it depends on the circumstances, doesn't it? Uh, Somero, Graham looked at that. SOM, this is the laser-guided concrete screening machines, mainly in the US, listed on AIM. Very successful company. Lovely cash generator and dividend pair. Now, Graham's only gone amber on it. I think that's a bit tight. Personally, I'm green on Somero. But again, it's another one where we don't really know whether they've had peak earnings and it's going to decline now. So... Bit of a question mark over the cyclicality of it, but I like it more. I like Summero more than Graham does. Right, I've got to speed up. Wednesday, the 1st of February, I looked at Wednesday, WYN. This is agricultural uh, supplier and oil supplier. Um, I'm green on this one. I think it's a nice value share. Um, now, it did have one-off uh, booster profits from the energy crisis, so don't get too carried away with the low PE based on these numbers, but it, it is guiding very honestly and openly. It's saying, look, this was a one-off good year. 
the forecasts are much lower for tw- uh, October 2023 year end. P of about 12 looks about right. Excellent balance sheet with Wednesday. So I think that's a nice, it's got 21 million night net, net cash. That is a nice value share to just tuck away and hold forever, I think, for, for you value investors out there who don't want uh, anything too exciting. Um, but you want your, your, your nice divvies and, and low risk. So Wednesday, yeah, nice business. <coughs> Graham looked at Tandem, TND. Now he's gone green on this. I don't, I'm not. I'm not keen on it. It's it's always it always looks cheap. It's uh, distributor of bicycles, and you know it did really well during the pandemic, during the cycling boom, which is now all unravelled. So I'm I'm not I'm not convinced by Tandem, but Graham. Um, so grudgingly gave it a green rating, I think. Uh, no, NWF is actually quite similar to Winstay. It's another agricultural supplies business. Uh, put out interim results. I like this one too. Again, just a value share, not not madly exciting. Uh, and I and, the, and reading between the lines of its update, it sounds to me like a full year beat could be coming. Uh, this one's also got a good balance sheet, but not as good as Wednesday. Of the two, I think I'd go for Wednesday if I wanted to invest in that area. Graham looked at Gaming Realms, quite an interesting company. Uh, gambling, a niche developer of gambling software. Now, it does this Slingo product, which it's licen- licensed uh, extensively to gambling websites. There's something interesting here. I just don't know how to value it. And I've never quite got to the bottom of what its business model actually is in terms of how they charge. The management were rather ambiguous about that. I think they need to just explain the business more openly so we can understand it better. Now, MadeTech, the MTEC, this is another uh, IT uh, consultancy type business similar to TPX Impact, but it's trading better. Now, this is an interesting one. A lot of traders that I follow on Twitter uh, jumped on this one and took the price up about 20 to 5%. You're seeing a lot of that at the moment. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean the share price will stay up. That's what you've got to be really careful about with these vertical spikes up when a load of bulletin board and Twitter people, uh, who are often very smart, I'm not slagging them off, but um, when they all suddenly go into a particular share, just bear in mind they're not going to be holding. They're not going to be long-term holders. They'll take their twenty, thirty percent profit and bank it. So I'm not going to buy after they've chased it up and caused a spike. You know. Um, now I'm more sceptical on Made Tech because. It was a cleverly worded trading update, but the bottom line was that it was a very disappointing H1 performance, um, only around break-even. Uh, but they then say they're on track to hit uh, quite a chunky full-year profit number. So what the implication is that MTech is uh, going to need a very heavy H2 weighting to its performance just to hit expectations. There's no guarantee that'll happen. As we saw, with T- that's exactly what TPX Impact said. They said, oh, you know, lousy H1, we're going to make it up in H2. And they didn't. They they failed to make it up in H2 and put out a profit warning. So I'm a bit sceptical on Made Tech, but it has got cash in the bank and it has got a good order book. So there are there are pluses, you know, there are bull points and bear points on Made Tech. So overall, I'm neutral on it. Now, I didn't get around to look at Restore, a trading update that was in line. FDM, I won't co- cover on principle because uh, we got shafted by management who bought it out on the cheap about 15, 20 years ago. And I've never forgiven them for that. And then Renew, I think, is very impressive uh, infrastructure 
uh, uh, contracting business that's done very, very well over the years. Renew. Uh, inline trading update there. I didn't get round to looking at that, I'm afraid. So that was Wednesday. Right, on to Thursday, the 2nd of February. Um, oh, this was where I looked at Paul Ver. Um backlog item from Monday. I'm green on it. I think it's a really good company. This is at £6.16. This is the company that supplies um, specialist filtration filters uh, for things like aircraft and high-end stuff. So they're expensive and the demand for them is recurring. And I think, you know, you can't... They're the sort of filters you can't just buy them from anywhere or anyone. They have to be from a, a regulated supplier and all this sort of thing. So it's a good business model. Now, aviation is coming back strongly so that's helping them uh yeah in line with upwardly revised expectations expectations were revised on the 9th of december which i reviewed at the time saying i think this is good so yeah i like pulver good quality company i think it's priced about right um so i'm I'm not motivated to buy any myself but it's certainly something i think you know once i settle into holding having more long-term positions uh that would that would probably be something i'd like to hold long term but i'm a little bit uh more short and medium term at the moment just because uh, i'm really trying to rebuild my portfolio and i'm looking for stuff that can double in the next year so that's where i'm focusing my money personally but i'll come on to that in a bit so super dry <laughs> julian dunkerson he just i love him he just can't help himself can he so he put out um so rumors have been swirling that he might take it private uh, and he put out a, a rule under Rule 2.8 of the takeover panel, um, where people have to respond to press. Uh, what a ridiculous system! People have to respond to press uh, rumours, uh, and if there's no press rumours, they don't have to. I mean, it's absurd. Such a ridiculous set of rules. But anyway, I was ranting about that last week, so I won't repeat it. But anyway, Dunkerton's come out and said that he's got no plans to take Superdrive private. But then, this is typical Dunkerton, adding, at the moment. (laughs) Isn't that brilliant? So just leaves it dangling there, at the moment. So, you know... Oh, there we go. It's you know following Superdry is so entertaining, uh, but uh, you know, and it seems to have a big following for the shares. It does large vertical irrational moves up in price, so it's a very nice share for traders. I think the business is still struggling though. That was my take from the recent numbers, particularly when you strip out that big forex gain. H one was actually heavily loss making, so you know, treat what what Mr. Dunkerton says with a large pinch of salt. I think. Um, that said, it is it is a good brand, and um, it could go either way. I think so. I'm I'm watching from the sidelines on that. PCI Pal, PCIP. This is a niche software business that does the um, does the software that enables uh, call centres to securely take. Uh, credit card payments over the phone. I'm mentioning briefly the activities of each company. Ms. Ed, the boss at Stockopedia, said, oh, love the podcast, Paul, but not everyone will have your encyclopedic knowledge of all the shares. So just briefly say what they do. And I thought that was a really good idea, so I'm trying to remember to do that. So PCI Pal, yeah, um, H1 ahead of expectations, but they're saying full year will be in line with expectations. Graham looked at this. So it's probably setting itself up for a beat, isn't it? I would like to hold PCIP, and I have held in the past, but uh, it's got a big patent infringement case uh, on the go, which, as Graham put it, well, we, we think it's quite good sometimes to swap round. So a share that I always like, sometimes I'll give it to Graham, or he took it 
to report on Orton this particular day. And it's great to get a different take on it. And Graham's a bit more cautious than me on PCI Pal, which made me think. So I'm glad um, he covered it rather than me just trotting out the usual bull points. Uh, Safe Star, Graham looked at this. He's read on that, so am I. The double glazing business, 33 million market cap. Just not a good business model. You know, the business is basically run for the for the salespeople's benefit, not shareholders, I think. Uh, it's crashed and remained low after all sorts of problems. It's flagging an underlying loss of 4.5 million. There's no moat, um, but it's got cash. Order book's okay. 2023 might be better. I wouldn't waste your time on SafeStar. I think it's um, I think it's proven throughout its time as a listed company that it's not really. Uh, there's too much of a conflict between the salespeople there and the outside shareholders' interests. Now, SCS, one of my long-standing favourites, and I think I think I've been vindicated on this. You know, it went to an irrationally low price in the bear market, and the beauty of it is, one of the readers flagged this up, and it was a great point because SCS had such a good balance sheet, so much cash in the bank, which is still equal to the market cap. Yes, it's a favourable working capital cycle because it gets the money up front before it pays the suppliers for making the sofas we all know that but um you know that's a continually rotating situation therefore as dfs has proved you can actually extract that money which is very imprudent but dfs have done it if you doubt if you doubt that look at dfs's balance sheet and compare it with scs's they're like chalk and cheese but anyway SCS has, has almost doubled now from the lows last October, so that's a brilliant recovery. Uh, and the trading update was pretty good. The negative like-for-like order intake that they'd previously been reporting has now gone positive, modestly, in the last 10 weeks. Cash of £77 million, uh, market cap of £76 million. So very, very prudent uh, approach to... It just sits on the cash, the customer cash. Uh, confident outlook, uh, and it says it should meet expectations for July 2023. So I think the bulls on this have been proved correct. Oh, yeah, the, what I was going to say, the, the reader comment on this, and generally, was a great point. Somebody said, you know, because it had such a strong balance sheet and such good cash, I didn't panic and I didn't sell in the uh, in the big bear market last year, which um, reached a crescendo, of course, around October 22, when, you know, the market was throwing massive bargains at us, which, we, you know, I said at the time in these podcasts, very wobbly macro position, of course, at the time. But on, on the individual company level, it was obvious that you were, there were dozens and dozens of companies that you could look at and say, that's going to double once the share, once the, once the macro position stabilises. And, uh, you know, I said that at the time. So it's not it's not being wise after the event. But like everybody, I was very nervous about the the overall big picture outlook with the government doing crazy things and interest rates shooting up. And, you know, all the, those crises, though, are very often a great time to buy, aren't they? Um, <clears throat> difficult time to buy. But obviously, you know, the long the best, most profitable purchases are often very, very uncomfortable purchases at the time. I forget who it was who said that, but any of the truth. Anyway, SCS, yes, I feel vindicated on that. Although I do think it's had such a great run. Maybe it might need to pause, retrace in the short term. So I was going to go amber on it for that reason. But then I looked at the valuation and thought, well, it's still actually really cheap. And uh, it's a value retailer. So, you know, really, it should be in the same compartment as BME and Shoe Zone and um, Card Factory, really. Uh, but for some reason, 
it oversold on the downside. And anyway, yeah, so bulls are, have been vindicated on SCS, I think. And it's up to you whether you want to bank some profits or not. I think it's never a bad thing to top slice when something's had a had an immensely good run. You know, banking some of the money, um, I don't know, 20%, 25% or a third, whatever you want. Everybody's got their own strategy, haven't they? I think it then gives you a pot of cash to buy on any dips, doesn't it? That's the beauty of top slicing. Um, although the other thing is, you know, just run with the, with the momentum. Every situation is unique and people just do whatever they're comfortable with. James Ham- Hal- Halstead, Graham looked at... <clears throat> oh, hiccup. <laughs> there we go. Now, sorry, I didn't get around to looking at NCC interims. That dropped 16%. Uh, now, Accentra, I didn't look at either, but see my last set of notes on that. They've completed on a huge uh, disposal and are paying a big special dividend. That's quite interesting, that one. I flagged it in December as potentially interesting because all this was pre-announced. And then you got a, a nice bump in the share price when it actually completed. Uh, Esken, formerly so- Stobart, we didn't cover that. It's too high risk. It's a, a special situation. What else? Oh, IMMO, a very interesting one. Um, spiked up on a disposal for more than the market cap, and they're going to do a 3p cash return. That still looks interesting, actually. Uh, Expediator was ahead, but it's in a takeover bid, so we didn't cover that. And Dynomi trading update, I didn't get around to looking at that, because it's a pity, because it does actually look quite good. With lots of cash and an OK trading update. Again, I did flag that one about a month ago as potentially interesting. So I hope um, maybe one or two readers managed to get in that one. Right, moving on to Friday. Oh, I flagged up really heavy director buying by the Alliance family at N. Brown, BWNG. Uh, Fraser's, Mike Ashley's outfit, uh, have, t- have bought out Schroeder's there with, I think, 13 or 14%. And the Alliance family are buying like it's it's going out of fashion. So uh, that's an interesting trade, which we have flagged up a couple of times before. I think it's an absolutely lousy business, but it's strongly asset-backed, if the numbers can be believed. Uh, with the uh, big um, customer receivables book. So quite an interesting update from BBSN. That's um, uh, Brave Bison. Um, This is an acquisitive um, vehicle that... um, uh, what does it do? Online marketing, that sort of thing. Uh, this acquisition is announced thanks to Shopping 365, um, one of our, um, our uh, lady uh, subscribers who I met at, at Mello. Absolutely charming lady with her husband. Had a really great, very switched on. We had a really good chat with her. Um, she's She flagged this one and uh, I think it looks very interesting. So thank you for flagging that. Um, I think it was Mary. Um, anyway, um, yeah, big contingent consideration for this acquisition it's done, but self-funding through stretch targets, which I like that. I think that's a good way of um, doing acquisitions to make the uh, vendors still motivated. Uh, yeah, so Brave Bison worth a look, I think. Nanako, we finally got the details of the settlement with Samsung, which has disappointed a lot of people. The share price dropped 27% to 26p. I don't think management have handled this well. They've allowed the whole thing to get a bit ramped, I think. And they, I think, added fuel to the fire with that, um, what they were saying to various people. So not impressed with that. Focus right. I'm green on this. I think it's still quite, well, probably priced about right. It's halved in the last um, year from the peak of the boom last year. I think, yeah, I think focus right. Good business. 
and uh, although it is flagging an H2 waiting to this year due to the timing of product mar- uh, product launches, so that increases risk a bit, but I think it's fundamentally a really good company focus, right? Okay, right, few macro comments coming next. Bear with me and I'll just read my notes. As always, I'm not an expert on macro. I'm just, I've studied economics all my life and, uh, you know, I would call myself a generalist, a le- an informed layman rather than an expert. So please do bear that in mind. I'll stick to UK issues as well, mainly. Now, the Bank of England raised interest rates again, up half a percent to 4%. I've still got concerns that these central banks are raising too fast. And I think, you know, we don't really know what shockwaves that's going to cause in the system. And I'm concerned that they're raising rates to dampen demand when actually inflation is being caused mainly by supply side shocks. So... Uh, yeah, I remain nervous about what 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 they're doing, and the fact that you've got these unaccountable people who are not democratically accountable or elected making key decisions over the economy. Although a friend of mine is is a big fan of independent um, uh, uh, central banks and says that you need that to rein in the, the politicians, and I suppose the Liz Truss experiment. Um, probably backs that up, although it now transpires that a lot of people are saying that actually her tax-cutting stimulus measures would have been a good idea, but it was just all implemented so badly, wasn't it? So, yeah, a bit nervous about interest rates, but they're now saying the peak is expected to be uh, four and a quarter to four and a half percent in March 2023. Well, that's clearly bullish for stock markets, isn't it? If we put peak inflation, looks like it's already happened. The Bank of England commentary as well was saying that it, it expects a shallower and shorter recession, which again is obviously really good news for equities. So you can see why markets are rallying. I think there is something fundamental behind it. But as always, we climb this wall of worry, don't we? I think another key point, though, with equities that I'm a bit worried about is that you've got to remember that we've had 14 years of zero interest rates. So equities were relatively uh, attractive on valuation terms. But now you've got interest rates, space rates at 4%, maybe going up to 45 It's very difficult to justify paying a PE of over, say, 20 for shares, isn't it? Because PEs of 20 should probably be coming down to PEs of about 14 now that interest rates, which is where they used to be, before interest rates went to zero. So I'm wondering if you've got a whole generation of investors who are just used to nonchalantly paying high PEs for things in a way that used not to be the case prior to 2008. PEs of 20 were not that common. And at the moment, so I am concerned that there are some quite ordinary companies without that much growth that are really looking stretched in valuation terms. I think people are maybe anchoring to valuations in the over during the zero interest rate period. So I'm flagging that as a risk. I think we all need to be really careful and just say, well, hang on, you know, maybe I'm paying too much for this, given that you know, you can now earn four, four and a half percent interest on your cash. It's so strange, isn't it, starting to see cash receipts coming into your broking account for your for your cash holdings. And uh, you know, these ninety day or whatever notice investment accounts now are paying quite good quite good rates. Uh, although I think you do have to be careful about the solvency uh, uh, of the of the banks because there was all that debacle a few years ago, wasn't there, where people were putting money into North Latin uh, Icelandic banks to get the highest credit interest and they then um, 
uh, you know, ran the risk of losing all their money. Although there is, a, I think there's a guarantee scheme up to about, is it 85,000? Uh, something like that for deposits. Anyway, so my core points would be careful about these high PEs, but also holding cash now is actually a lot more attractive than it was because you can get maybe 4% on the cash and inflation's rapidly, forecast to rapidly decline in 2023. Uh so I don't think we should be locking into 10% as being what inflation is likely to be going forward. It's probably going to come down to 2 to 5%, they reckon now, don't they? So 4% on your cash is pretty good if you don't want to take risk on holding equities. Uh, over in the US, much, much more bullet, bullish tone. Um, I was reading some commentators there. I'm, I'm not an avid follower of the US, but I keep it in my back of my mind because it drives what happens here indirectly. And big recovery in shares of Tesla, uh, also a you know, good bounce in Bitcoin. And Kathy Burke, oh no, no, not Kathy Burke, that's, that's the comedian, isn't it? Although this Kathy is also a bit of a Burke, I think, uh, of the ARC Trust, who was the sort of uh, poster child of, of the, of the of crazy valuations in the tech boom. Her uh, fund apparently has had a, a really seriously big bounce in January as well. So as the, this awful phrase, we're in a risk on market, aren't we? As if we're all twitching over our keyboards, changing daily from being bullish to bearish. But of course, there are lots of people who are and they drive the market prices, these traders in the short term and create the, the liquidity. So, um, you know, there's there's much more risk appetite, isn't there at the moment? And ignore that at, at our peril. I think, you know, if you're too bearish all the time, the risk is you sit in cash and you miss the best market moves because they happen quite quickly and often, you know, in the early stage of the bull market. Or we could be in another big bear market rally. Nobody knows, do they? I must admit, I mean, it's looking to me as if this is a much more credible uh, and maybe sustained rally, but I don't know. I don't know. I think... I th- some of these things where you can't see a particular reason for why a share has shot up if it's gone up 50-60% in those situations where there's been no trading update I would definitely look at top slicing those or selling them all together and then see what what the next trading update is like because a lot of things that have moved up 50-60% they put a trading update out that's good and nothing happens because the, the, the market's already priced in the gains we saw that with SCS this week and uh, so I, I think that in terms of risk reward, and yet if they put out a bad update, the share price gets clobbered. So I think bank top slicing on some of the things that have done really, really well, but they haven't announced trading, could be a, 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 a sensible, cautious move. We can always buy back in, can't we? If you have to pay 10% more, it's worth it to have the certainty that the business is doing well, I think. Or just to ignore all this as background noise and just keep the position long term. It's up to you. So overall, I think I'd, I'd encapsulate it by saying that I'm much more comfortable now with the macro outlook because the central banks are saying we're nearly done with interest rate hiking. Uh, inflation has clearly peaked now. And you can see from the input prices and commodity prices that uh, all the factors driving inflation are now um, going, to, going to result in, in much more moderate inflation um, and and that's coming through in forecasts. So, you know, there the, the, the do seem to be increasingly solid reasons for this market rally. But, uh, you know, markets tend to overshoot, don't they, on the downside, which it clearly did last year. Is it overshooting on the upside this year? I think in some cases, yes. On a stock-by-stock basis, you do look at some of them and think, yeah, that, that's overdone. 
so I think I'm I'm just looking at it in on individual share bases. All the things I'm in, I think, are cheap. Oh, the other thing is on Friday's small cap value report, I actually put up a list of all my current positions in size order. So I'm not putting that in the podcast. That's just for Stockopedia readers. And I did joke that if you if you don't rush out and buy them all, and and people know they're all things I'm I'm bullish on because I've I've put them, most of them as mystery shares and posit green updates in in the in the daily. Stockopedia reports. So I thought well, it'd just be interesting to show you my portfolio. Uh, it's probably more speculative than most people imagined, but I don't have. To, it's my money, and I'll put it where I like. I don't have to rigidly follow a value gap approach with my own money. I like a bit of um, excitement as well. Although uh, I think they're all well thought out. I think in terms of risk reward. Uh, my risk tolerance is higher than for most people. That's just the way I like to do things. But anyway, um, so cease Friday's report for my personal shareholdings. I, I did quip that, you know, if you'd if you'd shorted the shares, my best stock ideas in 2021 20, and 22, you would have made a lot of money. <laughs> so <laughs> let's hope this year I've uh, I'm back on form and you can't really you can't really get it wrong in the current market because everything's rising. Other interesting fundamentals that we're starting to see from quite a few company updates is they're saying that uh, supply chain pressures are now easing, uh, input costs are moderating uh, for raw materials, for companies that actually make things, which is all very good news, isn't it? Because And it made me think, maybe they've put their prices up, so customers have now got used to the higher prices, but with input costs stabilising or even starting to fall, that could be really good for a lot of companies' gross margins um, <clears throat> because you can resist customers calling for price cuts probably more easily than the other way around, actually implementing price rises. So we could see gross margins and, and therefore net profits actually start to surprise on the upside for some companies, I think. Um, <clears throat> so... Um, You've also got a number of companies saying that the freight costs are now moderating very considerably. Focusrite said that, for example, on Friday. Uh, again, that's really good for margins. Um, <clears throat> so even if demand is soft and they're not increasing revenue by as much as inflation, you know, if those gross margins are improving, that can people often forget about margin. It's so important, just as important, if not more so, than um the natural revenue growth, I think, in, in, in with a lot of companies. So there's nice tailwinds starting to build, I think. <clears throat> also, one of the reasons I'm um, going into the hospitality sector again with some really bombed-out shares in that sector is because I think the whole energy crisis could become a tailwind, couldn't it? You know, look at the wholesale prices now plummeting. When that feeds through to business energy bills, uh, you know, it could mean they're suddenly starting to announce in a few months' time, actually our energy costs are now lower than they were last year. Well, that, and and with consumers starting to stick their head above the parapet as well, I think hospitality, if you pick the right ones, could be a very, very interesting recovery sector. So that's where I've actually put quite a lot of my personal portfolio in the last few weeks. It is risky, but... um, if you want multi-baggers, you've got to take a bit of risk, I think. Oh, and a really a final point I've I put here, momentum. Just because a share has shot up in price doesn't mean it will stay up in price. You know, you've got a lot of... I've covered this point before, really, but you've got a lot of traders in the market, you know, causing uh, big spikes up in, in shares. 
that's what they're after. Sometimes they're only in the stock for a day or several days and then they're out. So just because it's gone up a lot doesn't mean it's going to stay up. Um, always bear that in mind, I think. Uh, big spikes up also don't necessarily mean the company's trading well. We've seen plenty of examples of profit warnings from companies where there's been a nice steady rise in the share price preceding that uh, profit warning. So again, I, I never assume that the market knows everything because a lot of the people buying will just be buying on, on it crossing the 50-day moving average, a favourable, you know, a lot of charts are now set up for this Minivini-style trading, aren't they? Um, and a lot of those people are selling a day or two before the results or trading updates because they bank their 10, 20, 30% gain. And good luck to them. I mean, I reckon there must be traders making a killing from this market at the moment. And good luck to them. You know, however you make money from the market, you know, just do more of whatever works, as my mentors always always told me. Um, and at long last, you know, value and GARP investors like me are starting to make money again. So we're all happy, hopefully. And on that um, positive note, I think I'll sign off. Thanks, as always, for listening and do leave feedback. I love your feedback and uh, we'll speak again next week. Bye.